0: Everyone has a story and everyone has a purpose. On this show, we'll dive into how you can obtain financial freedom through real estate investing and how we can use this to live a life full of intention and purpose. Hey everyone, welcome to the Live Like You Mean It podcast. Um, Today we're here with Chris Grenzig um, and today we'll talk a little bit about his story and how he got into the real estate investing space. Chris started his real estate investing journey in January 2016 by trying to flip houses on Long Island, New York, but ultimately failed to flip a single house despite spending tens of thousands of dollars and several months trying. Chris and his team tried pivoting to purchase tax deed properties in Philadelphia, but quickly realized it wasn't for them. From there, Chris started to learn a little bit about multifamily and started investing passively in in an eight-unit property. He then went on to joint venture on another 100 units worth over $4.5 million. From there, Chris decided to quit his full-time job in finance and join Toro full-time in August 2016. Now, Toro has acquired roughly 4,000 units worth around $285 million, and Chris runs their Florida operations totaling about 1,000 units uh, worth about $60 million. So Chris, that's an awesome, awesome story, and thank you so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, bud.
0: Cool, so I think uh, first we'll kind of get into like what you currently do and uh, explain a little bit more about what you're doing with Toro.
1: Sure. So Tor Real Estate Partners uh, was founded in roughly late 2015, early 2016. Uh, It's a multifamily focused investment firm um, that we syndicate deals out to. So basically what that means is we will raise money from investors uh, to go out and buy commercial properties, multifamily properties, and we operate those properties on behalf of the investors. So we find the properties we source the insurance the debt the property managers we compile the business plan um, we raise all the equity and capital that's required we'll close we'll then implement that business plan to the best of our ability while we own the property and then eventually we will handle the sale of that property whenever it goes through distribute funds as necessary and distribute money while the properties go along as well um and there's a lot of other components go into it, but that's basically what it is. So for us, we focus on older properties that are kind of a little bit beaten down and need some work done to them. Or we also target stuff that's, you know, very heavily distressed as well. So we bought two deals that were hundred percent vacant, you know, that needed millions and millions of dollars worth of work. And then we've also bought some that were, you know, very stable, just some light renovations and cosmetic work that need to be done. Um, and we're just longer term holds. So, um, we kind of stay in our lane a little bit. We focus on a couple markets um, and we just try to find deals that we also want to invest in personally because we co-invest in all of our deals. Yeah.
0: Awesome. So I know you kind of had a uh, an interesting story, um, a really you know authentic one kind of going from the house flipping to mm-hmm. trying to figure out, you know, you, you knew real estate was the truth, but it was kind of, you know, maybe stumbled a little bit getting into it. And I think another thing to be said is that you got into it before a lot of people. Mm. Um, and if you could kind of take us back to like before real estate, like, um, what did you do before you knew you wanted to invest? And like,
1: so I, like you mentioned, I'm born and raised Long Island, New York. I went and played division one soccer at Hofstra university, which is also on Long Island. So, you know, the first 22 years of my life, I was there and fortunately or unfortunately, depending upon how you look at it today, um, while I was in college, I didn't prepare myself for after college. I didn't do any internships, didn't have any jobs lined up. And I got super lucky that, you know, one of my best friends hooked me up with a division two coaching job up in Massachusetts. So I went up there because I didn't really have any other options. And I liked the idea of college coaching and I, college coaching, and I said, let's go try it. Right. It's the only way we're going to know if we like it or not. So I went up there for a year, um, really enjoyed college coaching. There were a couple problems, though, that I saw preventing me from going down that path as a career. One, I found that I really missed New York, missed my friends missed my family, missed my life there. Um, So I wanted to come back. College coaching also pays terribly. Uh, I think I was getting paid about $4,000 for the year part-time. So I'd had to pick up other odd jobs, coaching and summer camps and other things to make ends meet. And two, to move up in the world of college coaching and potentially even professional coaching, um, you have to be willing to move wherever the jobs are. And that can be, in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana. And I said, if I don't even like Massachusetts, which is a couple hours away in a fairly decent little city of Worcester, Massachusetts, you know, how am I going to be able to do this? And there's only a handful of division one and division two colleges in New York. You ever decide to try to go above that, you've got to really be ambitious and go wherever. So I looked at it several years down the line. I was just like, this isn't going to be a good fit for what I want. So Came back. I was able to get another coaching role for Queens College, which is also Division Two. But instead of doing more coaching, I got my first "quote unquote" real job, and that was a cold caller for a stock brokerage company uh, on Long Island. So did that, making four or five, six hundred calls a day, um, trying to generate leads for the licensed brokers in the place, and then also working extra hours to study to get my licenses. So eventually got licensed with my Series Seven and Sixty Three. And that was like my first introduction into the investment world and really understanding how it works and really seeing wealth. You know, the job ultimately wasn't for me. I stayed for a little longer than a year. A lot of things I didn't like about it. You know, it was very commission focused, very money focused, not return focused for the client. Um, so I knew it wasn't right for me, but one of the things that I was exposed to was I was on the phone, you know, six, eight, 10 hours a day, depending upon if if I was studying or not. And I was just talking to people that had money and you would hear how they would talk about money. You would hear how they made their money. You would hear how they would, you know, keep their wealth and their capital. And you, you just opened my eyes to a lot of different possibilities. Um, But ultimately what happened was I knew fairly quickly, this wasn't another long-term plan for me. Um, It was very transactional based. Um, it just didn't sit well with me. So I started looking for the next thing to go into, but also in the business and investing world. Cause I really liked that. Um, and as luck would have it, my mom and my cousin had decided to buy a flipping course for single family homes and brought this up to my mom. And she said, Hey, why don't you come along with us? There's this introductory weekend that we go to for, I think it was like 10 hours a day and they just, you know get you going and show you the ropes and teach you how to do things. And I said, sure, I'll come along. And that was my first introduction into real estate. Um, I knew absolutely nothing before that. Um, I had lived in a home and I had rented out a home one year. That was it. Um, otherwise I knew nothing and I got hooked pretty quickly. I mean, I got sold a little bit cause they teach you or they, you know, they sell you on making you know hundreds of thousands of dollars a year flipping homes with none of your own money, which may or may not be true. Um, But I really started learning about it and I thought it was very interesting and it felt very different to the stock world that I was in that felt very false and amplified and a little bit egregious. And the people I was talking to there and some of the other ways felt a little bit more genuine, like you said. So um, while I was still a broker, you know, nights and weekends, getting educated, trying to flip homes, podcasts, a little bit of books, I don't read a ton, um, videos, educational content. um, And also, you know, talking to my mom, my cousin um, got coached up, but like you said, ultimately failed to flip anything. Um, The only flip we have to our name to date uh, is one failed flip down in Charleston, South Carolina that we lost money on. Um, So maybe one day I'll have a successful flip under my belt, but it's not today. Um, But yeah, did that for a while. Uh, Eventually decided to try doing it out of state for a number of reasons. And wanted to partner with somebody instead of paying for it and couldn't find a partner to be on the flip side of things. So decided to give somebody a hard money loan because everybody was looking for loans. So he said, you know, we'll be the lender for somebody and let's see what happens. Became the lender, did a flip. It went pretty good. um, But really wasn't sold on it and just got introduced to this guy's cousin, who's John Cohn, who's one of the owners at Toro where I work now. And, talk to him about buying tax deeds down in Philly cause that's how he had got his start. So we tried that. We drove down one weekend, um, drove 50, 60, 70 properties. We were going to go to the auction the next day, but we said, screw this, this sucks. Let's just go home. And it's not right for us. Um, it was just very, very rough properties, very rough areas and came back. Um, happened to meet up again with John and just kind of say thanks, but we're just not the right people for this. And just talking again cause just networking and he happened to be raising money for an eight-unit property in Covington, Kentucky, which is right across the, the river of Cincinnati. Um, so it's like the Brooklyn of Cincinnati. And we kind of thought about it the same way as the flip of, we had just started learning about multifamily. It had made the most sense of any asset class to us so far, the value-add reposition of multifamily. And said, we want to get involved. Like We have some capital. Let's passively invest. Our only caveat we said was, Can we just pick your brain once a week, every other week, whether it's coffee, conference call, um, you know, exchanging emails, something like that. We just want to learn from somebody that's actually doing it and in a deal that we're involved in. He said, sure. Um, So we started talking a lot more after we invested and just had really good synergies, got on really well and just asked if, hey, can we partner with you on future deals, take some stuff off your plate, you know, do some of the grunt work, allow you to just oversee and we just come on the general partnership side instead of the limited partnership side, which is where we were. And he said, sure. So we ended up partnering or joint venturing on another 17 units in the same area. It was three properties. And then eventually uh, partnered on an 82 unit deal down in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, we were actually in the process of doing an 86 unit down in Jacksonville, Florida, but actually walked after due diligence because of a couple problems. But while we were doing that 17 unit, I was still working as a stockbroker, still trying to do this part-time, but I was done. I was ready to quit. I was, I was just completely done. As luck would have it, just happened to be talking to John one day. He had worked for the same people I was working for, just at a different company about five years prior, and told him I was trying to do this full-time, but we just weren't quite there yet. He said, why don't you come work for me and my partner, Don, at Toro. We're focused on larger properties, you know, 100, 200, 300 unit properties, you know, 10, 20, $30 million deals. um, You know, we're starting to have too much going on for us that we need help. I basically said, sure. And quit my job the next day. Um, So that was August, 2016 Um, been there for just over four years now. We're right at four years. Um, And like you said, you know, running the Florida region of our portfolio.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a really cool story. You know, I think, I think it's kind of fascinating what you talked about, like the stockbroker world and kind of how it kind of pushed you away because of Mm -hmm. the, you know, not not to generalize anyone, but kind of the sliminess and the, the transaction based environment in it. And I definitely think, you know, multifamily investing tends to attract people who are concerned with value for others, mm-hmm. kind of like external facing.
1: Um, yeah, I think, I think you have to be, um, in a way, you know, there's still tons of Ponzi schemes. So let's first <laughs> off call spade a spade. There's still a ton of people doing wrong yeah. things. So, um, yeah. and it was actually very funny when I started getting into real estate. I was, I believe I was celebrating my dad's birthday. I was out to dinner with him and a few of his buddies and they were in the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme and they lost a ton of money. And they asked me, they're like, how do you know, you know, you really bought the property. Are you sure you're not getting scammed? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I know. Cause I've seen the closing statement. I've been on the property. You know, I've seen the deed, um, you know, the title, all that stuff. You know, I feel relatively confident that we actually own the property. Um, but I understand 100% where they're coming from because, you know, especially with the rise of Photoshop and different tools that you can do today. So there are a ton of amazing people that do the multifamily investing, commercial real estate, syndication, even just real estate investors in general, but there are a ton of people who are still not in that category as well. So you do have to be careful. For
0: sure. And, you know, I I think more so like the fact that it can attract people like you, you know, who maybe didn't fit the bill of, Transaction-based job, something where the more value you create, the more value you get, Mm kind of. And kind of twisting off that, like, how? uh, What's the main thing driving you now? Like, what is
1: the the thing that makes you get up and want to go to work and want to buy apartments? So the biggest thing between when I was a stockbroker and here is just I felt I was. I feel like I'm actually providing something of value. Um, You know, and I was a stockbroker; it felt very self-serving. Here, it's still self-serving because we get compensated, but it's also something that I think is valuable to other people. Um, I actually, when I was a stockbroker, my aunt actually asked if it would be helpful if she transferred her account over to me. And I told her no. Um, cause I was afraid that my company was going to want me to be transactional with her money and this is her retirement money. And I didn't think that personally would be good. Um, I never asked them what we would do. So to be fair, I didn't give them the chance to prove me wrong. Um, but just because I had that mindset of what I saw going on every single day, that was like, that was basically the straw that broke the back. I was like, this is, I, you know, I can't be here anymore. Um, two, it's also, tr- you know, multifamily still transactional as well, but as a broker, you're always convincing someone to buy and sell. Um, and it's, if they don't do anything, you don't, you know, as the multifamily stuff, even if you didn't own anything, um, you know, there is still ways you get reoccurring revenue. So it's, it's a little bit different, um, but it's really just the my comfort level, my belief in it, um, you know, the morality around it, um, things of that. It's also where I wanted my money to be as well. Um, you know, I still I have money in the stock market too, but um, you know, I'm a long-term person. I don't I buy and hold, I don't sell anything. So um that's just my personal belief and what I think was best for me. Um, my kind of why and why I do what I do. Um, one, you know, I'm chasing financial freedom, financial independence, um, you know, not being tied to a, a job or have to do something and being able to wake up and decide to just do whatever. I think that should be a goal for everybody. Um, I don't think there should be a single person in the world that should be okay with having to go to work because they need to live. And I think people that think a job is um, sustainability or comfortability is just fooling themselves because we just saw what happened with COVID where 10% of people lost their jobs. Lucky the government stepped in. Otherwise they'd be into a, you know, a hell of pain. Um, if you have money saved up and you have income coming in and you have stuff you can fall back on. Yeah. Things might get a little bit tighter there for a little while, but you have more than enough to survive. So for me, it just, I don't know why everybody isn't more concerned with it. Um, So that's one thing for me. But another thing too is I feel very lucky and blessed that I had not only the upbringing I did, but I didn't get hunkered down with student debt. You know, I feel very lucky that I got introduced to the investing world, the wealth world, the real estate world as early on as I did. Um, So for me, I feel a responsibility to help other people get into it if they're interested or try to show people why they should be interested um, which is why I do a lot of outreach, social media, podcasts, um, webinars, things of that nature. Cause I feel kind of a duty or responsibility and even a little bit guilty to kind of try to help other people out um, because I feeling blessed or lucky to have had it so early on. Um, so those are, you know, a couple of reasons. And also too, um, you know, I like the sense of chase i like the sense of building something i like the enjoyment of figuring things out um you know so having kind of stuff to work on and do and figure out and try and fail and do again and keep going you know is also very fun in its own way for me
0: yeah i think uh you know i think financial freedom is kind of the key word that Mm -hmm. we're all kind of looking for i think most people in this space uh consider that kind of like the the pie in the sky um Mm -hmm. And an interesting thing I think you said is the desire for the chase. I think that's something you can't really do this stuff without, you know, because yeah. um, financial freedom is not easily attainable, whatever, you know, some program might tell you. Yeah. Um, and how do you kind of balance like, let's say you're financially free in the sense that your expenses are paid and you can live the life you want. You can wake up and golf if you want, or you can wake up and work. How do you balance that with like wanting to build a big company or like wanting to, you know, do great things, but also like, does that make well, sense? I don't
1: think, I don't think financial freedom necessarily means having a big company, you know, financial freedom could be working a W2 job and just saving up enough money over 20 years that you don't have to work if you don't want to. Exactly. Um, you know, a, a really interesting thing about financial freedom that I bet a lot of people don't realize is I've spoken to people and heard of people that are afraid at their job to do or say certain things for fear of, retribution, getting fired, getting in trouble, uh, things of that nature, if you're financially free, you can still like your job and still work there. But if something bothers you about your job, you now have the freedom to speak up and say something because you don't have to rely on that job. You don't have the fear of getting fired and then having to go find another job, but you don't have the reference of your last boss because he fired you and he didn't like what you said. So now you don't have a positive reference and you think your next job is going to be hard to get you know, so there's a, it's really hard to understand. Like if you didn't have to worry about making money and doing what you liked, like what, what would you do? And it's a little bit intimidating in a way, and I'm not there. So, you know, it's even tough for me to imagine. Um, But both my parents are retired. My dad's been retired for longer. He was quasi retired because he stayed home and my mom was working. So but they've both been retired now for five-plus years. It's just very interesting to watch them day-to-day day from you just kind of decide to do whatever they want or you know, go on a trip or go do this or go see someone. And especially because they both retired early, a lot of their friends are not retired yet. And it's very interesting to see how, as some of them retire, how they start to interact and do things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it literally – you just do whatever you want. So if you want to build a big business and you have financial freedom, go do it. Like it's, you know, you're going to have to risk money. So it's going to be somewhat tough to remain financially free and build a business. Um, unless you just keep some off to the side and, you know, only play with things um, or you can retire and golf or you can retire and, you know, give back to the community and work for a nonprofit and, you know, not get paid or, you know, you can take up arts and crafts or you can be a stay at home parent or a stay at home, grandparent or it travel like it's just you know it just lets you kind of do what you want you know options are basically endless
0: yeah for sure i I think it's kind of you know in the name financial freedom in the sense that i I think we've kind of built a culture of the idea that you have to be an entrepreneur you have to build this huge company you have to be hiring people you have to you know have some sort of like authority in a career sense and i think like you said what if i'm an engineer and i've been an engineer for 20 years and I love my job, but I want some security and you know, I, I can take my 401k throw it at some syndications and, you know, be able to go to work and be myself. If something doesn't align, go find a new job that I love. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be a multifamily syndicator to be financially free. You know,
1: it we're starting to talk about like the fire community, which is, you know, financial independence, retire early, but there's a lot of different offshoots of that where there's like, well, I think one of them is called like, and I'm not really well versed in this. If someone listening who knows it better, Probably correct me, um, but there's like, you know, FI, which is just financial independence, but you're not necessarily retiring early. Um, and then there's like partial fire, where it's like you quit your job and you have enough to supplement part of your income, but you work part time to supplement the rest of it. Um, there's like fat fire, which is you retire early, but you're not just trying to live on what you make. You're still trying to replace your full salary, so you can continue to save uh, money. So. There's a lot of different ways to do it. I would encourage you know the that fire community has a lot of different ways that people do it, but yeah, you don't have to at all I mean one of the things I love about the real estate investment company and working for it, whether it's myself or somebody else my I can literally take the playbook for my job and go do it myself on the side, and it will not impact what I do at work so and doesn't necessarily even have to be raising money. it can just be you know. If we work on hundred unit properties, I can just literally take all the skills I have in operating a hundred unit property and go buy my own 10 unit property or duplex or five unit or 50 unit, you know, whatever money and resources you have available to you. And you can literally take the playbook you have at work and use it on the side. You don't have to leave and go do it yourself. Like a lot of people like, Oh, you know, I'll go and I'll learn and then I'll go start my own company. Do it myself. You don't have to do that if you are not an entrepreneur. You don't like that risk. You can still just work for somebody and then just do the same stuff for yourself on the side, which you can't do with a lot of other jobs, right? Marketing companies, you know, um, any hedge funds, private equity. Like as a private individual, you can't, you know, be an angel investor in Uber. That just doesn't work. You know, as a hedge fund, you don't have the resources to trade like a hedge fund does. Um, You know, so it's, it's very interesting for me. It's one of the few industries or jobs that I've seen that allows you to directly apply it to your own stuff on the side at a smaller scale.
0: If you could give us one piece of advice to live like we mean it, how could we do that? So I know you kind of went from soccer coach, to stockbroker to real estate investing. Mm-hmm. So like what's kind of one thing that you've observed in your life?
1: I think the one thing that I did that I would encourage with other people is I wasn't afraid to try a lot of different things. So, you know, I wasn't really chasing. I didn't know what financial freedom was until, you know, a few years ago. You know, so I've been out of school six plus years now out of college. Um, you know, I didn't really understand what it was until a couple years ago. And my early years was just trying to figure it out, right. Going to Massachusetts, being a coach, coming back to New York, being a coach and a stockbroker doing flipping, you know, trying the different types of real estate. And even today, you know, trying different things and tasting things and, you know, always thinking about new ideas and I'll always start down the path and maybe I don't actually try it, but I, I just figure out earlier on, it's not right. So a good example was me and my roommate talked about investing in laundromats and we started really talking about it, investigating and understanding, but I just realized early on it was just a, it was just a, a weird business and there was a lot of peculiarities and, you know, things you really have to understand And we were going to try to do in New York city. I was just like, I don't know how we're ever going to compete against somebody else and do a better job with what little we know. So we just never really, you know, took the leap and did it. So I'm constantly testing and tasting and trying different things. And I think none of it feels like time wasted because I'm constantly learning and taking things I learned from one thing, bringing it over to another. Um, So I would just encourage people to do that. Don't be afraid to try things. I don't view anything I did as a, a wasted moment um, as long as I was working towards actually trying to accomplish something. Cause even if I failed or decided to move, you know, it led me to where I am today and I learned other things that, you know, will help me along the way.
0: Chris, thank you so much for talking with us. Uh, how can we get in touch with you and is there any way, you know, we can find you?
1: Um, so the best way is actually, I just signed up for uh, the community tech stuff. Um, so I'm going to be pumping that out soon. Uh, so if anybody wants to text me, it goes right to my cell. Uh, the number six, three, one, two, one, two, zero, zero, six, two. Um, but other ways to get in touch with me, uh, you can email me Chris at Toro rep.com. Uh, that's also our website. So T O R O R E P.com. If anybody's interested in investing, there's a, a button for investor questionnaire, just fill it out. and We'll get in touch with you. Um, if you want to follow me on social media, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Chris or literally any other platform just by searching Chris Grenzig. Um, Or you can also check out our podcast. Uh, It's the Real Estate Investing Experience, every single platform, also on YouTube, uh, or you can go to the reiexp.com. Awesome. And I'll definitely
0: have a link to all that stuff for the the description. So uh, no worries about that. But thank you so much for coming on, Chris, and uh, have a good one. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me.